are listening to the Trans Narrative Podcast. The Trans Narrative Podcast is dedicated to fostering a safe and inclusive space for the trans community. It provides a platform for trans individuals to connect, share their stories, and find support within their own community. Join me, Caroline Penny, Maria Lackey, Dina Fermakis, Lucy Balzano, and the rotating panel of gender-diverse co-hosts as we strive to create a place where trans voices are heard and celebrated. The Trans Narrative Podcast may contain explicit material, sensitive topics, and discussion. Trigger warnings are provided in advance. Welcome back to the Trans Narrative Podcast. I'm Caroline Penny, and today, Athena Primakis and Lucy Balsano meet with Dr. Anna Maria Chance. Anna Maria is a chemical engineer and STEM educator with numerous professional and creative projects. Through her teaching work, her podcast, Rule 63, social media presence, and local political organizing, she is an advocate for abolitionist engineering education and intersectional trans feminism. And today, She's here with us. Hey everyone, welcome to the Trans Narrative Podcast, where we shift the trans narrative to more inclusive and representative space with an emphasis on accessibility, intersectionality, inclusion, diversity, and equity. We explore a variety of topics related to the queer community and by building empathetic bonds through shared conversation and meaningful discourse, we are able to elevate often marginalized voices. This is the Trans Narrative Podcast. Uh, this is Athena Pramax with the Trans Narrative Podcast, and today I'm joined by Lucy Balzano and Anna Marie. Anna Marie, welcome. Uh, you're our guest today. What can I, <laughs> what can I do to help you? What am I doing? I'm go- going into customer service mode over here. My brain is like running on. I like your service. customer service voice. Yes. Well, thank you. <laughs> that means one of us has to become a Karen for you. That way, you can be like this bitch. <laughs> And then you're going to go to the break room and be like, I want to quit. I want to quit so bad. <laughs> but then you're going to remember that you've got like 15 children, um, and, you know, a big semi that you have to take care of and a luxurious mansion as per, because, you know, you stop drinking Starbucks coffee and stop buying iPhones. <laughs> Sorry, poking fun at our, you know, I, I seriously doubt we have right-leaning, you know, um, pro-capitalist people listening hopefully not at this point um <laughs> but in the event that they are and you oh i forgot you also stopped eating avocado toast because apparently you know those three things combined will stop you from ever getting very good health care the ability to pay for it a mansion and you know a job that has uh, a pension as per the american dream is that why I'm poor? <laughs> that I keep ordering <laughs> avocado toast? Have you eaten avocado toast within the last decade? Yes. Have well, you owned a cell this phone? Month. I, I do own an iPhone 11 Pro. Have you ever had Starbucks? Unfortunately, yes. Oh, see, that's why you're poor. That's why I'm poor. Because everywhere. They're just yeah. like, this is what you're poor. Mm-hmm. Yep. Not because you weren't born in, into the, the, the birth lottery of, hey... My parents are rich. Are going to have a trust fund for me? <laughs> mm-hmm. Wait, wait. I have a question though. I thought that buying things made me a good consumer and made me a good participant in the economy, and that I'm like creating jobs by supporting capitalists and corporations and things. 
Well, that's when they're gonna pop out of the out of a well and be like, "Interesting how you hate capitalism, but you participate in this society." <laughs> All smug and full of shit. Thank you for having me on your lovely show. Uh, my name is Dr. Anna Maria Lachance. I am an educator based out of Massachusetts, formerly from Connecticut, aka Pocomtuckamohegan land. Um, and I contain multitudes. I am an educator in my professional work as a lecturer in the Department of Chemical Engineering at UMass Amherst, and I'm an educator on the internet, where I produce a variety of different content streams, from my own podcast, Rule 63, to my writing on Substack, to my silly little videos on TikTok and Instagram. You can find me everywhere at that Anna Marie. And I appreciate you having me on to talk about my experience. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate you to be here. Uh, you've got a lot of different experience and you speak to a lot of different levels uh, of education and experience as well. Um, and I think that's uh, really something that, that I, I've looked forward to for a while since I've, uh, we first kind of had a, a meeting about it. Because uh, you, you're uh, educated in the kind of the science and degrees Whenever it comes to like online discourse, it comes down to like some people with uh, distributing certain articles and whatnot. And we kind of throw links at each other just from the lay, so to speak, and see like uh, it's it's easy to kind of get lost in, in where the uh, you know science can can uh, lie. So I, I appreciate having like, you know, an, an educated uh, guest on this uh, and, and uh, definitely something that like, you know, I've had questions about like some of the things in the chemicals that that I've had uh, in in my body and things like that. Uh, so, do you find any any particular uh, discourse that's important to go through that's important to disclose? We've got lots of uh, disclosures now that are required by people who are going to be providing medical care in Missouri uh, that it's supposedly experimental and recognizes harmful in the state of Missouri. So, is there any evidence to back that up? Sorry, I'm not familiar with that particular claim or that particular line. Um, I've actually been taking a short social media break this past month, um, mainly due to discourse, mainly due to the huge uh, influx in anti-trans hate. You know, I think it says something that I've been sort of studying bigotry for years. I've been involved in politics and studying politics for more than a decade now, not in a formal setting, but certainly in a, in my personal life. And there's something to be said that in the past few months, it has gotten uniquely terrible, um, just the onslaught of anti-trans hate. And the onslaught of anti-trans hate and escalation. So the main thing, the main thing that an educator can do, mm -hmm. or rather, the best thing that an educator can do, especially in a time of fake news, is cut through the noise and use their expertise and get right to the facts. And not only talk about you know their perspective, but also provide a sort of bird's eye view of the entire discourse, not just understanding or explaining a particular position, but why someone might hold that position, what incentive structures are in place for them to be sharing that opinion. Like what incentive structures are in place for someone to spread anti-trans hate what is the actual fundamental root cause of transphobia? What is the fundamental root cause of, you know, the whole right-wing media infrastructure that exists right now? 
Um, the reason we're seeing such an influx of anti-trans hatred, especially on the internet, is because the rules on the internet have changed. The rules on the internet have, or rather, I think a big thing and something that has changed a lot over my decade plus on the internet is a shift in how the internet works. And this is something I've talked a lot about on my podcast and my writing is the shape of the internet has changed from a place that was supposed to be this egalitarian wild west where anyone can be whatever they wanted and go on whatever silly, weird little websites um, to a place that's mostly focused on profit. You can see that shift in the shift from, you know, knowing a bunch of cool websites, a bunch of cool forums. And now there are like four or five websites. There's Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok, and whatever the small array of um, networks that you follow. And also a shift from a social graph model to an algorithm-based model. A social graph model is one where you sort of pick and choose who you follow. Think Tumblr ever, think how Instagram and Twitter used to work, how you used to pick and choose who you got to follow. But increasingly, especially with the rise of TikTok, the internet has shifted into algorithm-based media, meaning the things that get the most engagement or clicks or whatever is what's most profitable and gets it is what gets risen to the top. It's what rises to the top. So that incentive structure incentivizes people not to be real or genuine or nuanced or give us great long form discussion like we have on amazing podcasts like this one, <laughs> um, but yeah. to summon the worst impulses of humanity. Um, I don't think people are just like this. I think the internet does this to people. I think capitalism does this to people. Um, bringing out the worst in us, the most reactionary parts of us. And that just so happens to correlate well with or align well with fascist ideology rather than, you know, more leftist progressive ideologies, which are more in service to facts and logic and thinking things through and real deductive problem solving. I think the left, as it were, which I do consider myself to be a part of, are the problem solvers of the world, whereas the right are sort of regressive. They want to sort of collapse the world into simple binaries and simple, oh, if we just went back to this way of doing things in the past, then everything would be fine. The only thing fascism knows how to do is scapegoat to minorities. And trans people are just the current minority. A couple of decades ago, it was, you know, gay people, it was lesbians. Now it's trans people. Um, it never really stopped being uh, people of color in this country in particular. And so when it comes to discourse, we have to ask, why is this happening? Why is this happening now? And is it actually any different than what's going on or what has been going on in the past? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I feel like there is a lot of the same uh, discourse that's happening just at a more rapid rate. And, you know, some of the conversations that have to happen or before would happen at a rarer pace now have to happen on the daily, uh, you know, so that uh, familiarity of contact is a consequence of just having those two or three big websites. So it's a, a give and a take to it. It does democratize our access to each other, but also democratizes our access to be hurtful towards each other. Um, so kind of forming enclaves and getting filtered out does leave us with, you know, those sort of silos of information and trying to reach outside of that just becomes more uncomfortable, I feel, with time. Uh, watching Fox News as somebody from the left and, you know, watching uh, MSNBC as somebody from the right are maybe both uncomfortable places, but places that I feel like we should be engaging in uh, more often and 
maybe not in the way that we uh, often do just to criticize and bully, but try and examine, like you said, what is the root cause? Why are you afraid of, of this? What is, what is the outcome that you're, you're, or consequence you're afraid of? Um, and, and there's not a lot of that. Uh, and we can talk about like the science behind it uh, or we can talk about this particular study or that. Uh, but yeah, at the root cause of it, uh, I feel that like, you know, the, the concept from the left is that there's autonomy. Uh, and then the, from the right, there is an ideal that is sought after. Uh, and some of them say it's like a scientific, you know, it's a fact that there's a biological male and female, that there's an ideal in genetic code that's an image of God kind of thing. Um, but in the end, if we allow the autonomy agreement, it doesn't really have a lot of impact what we, we talk about with uh, you know, the science. We can do, you know, all kinds of uh, different things. Um, but with the discourse part of it specifically, that uninformed portion and trying to allow people who are uneducated to make the right kinds of inquiries in the right places uh, and then not allowing trolls just to ask questions to be obnoxious. It can be a balance. So uh, is that kind of part of why you've taken a step back? Have you, it's hard to filter out the honest people from the people who are just being hateful out of spite or, or whatever the case is. I think I'm be. just overwhelmed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's any one particular yeah. element of discourse that's upsetting to me. It's just the sheer volume of it all. I mean, there's this trend now towards content sludge, which if you've ever seen those videos that it's just like a clip of someone speaking maybe from a podcast and then overlaid, there's like a clip from Family Guy as well as a slime video, as well as a Subway Surfer video. And those videos give me brain damage and those videos make me so concerned for the fate of all of humanity and especially the youth because like what's happening to our attention spans what's happening to our brains when this is the content delivery mechanism i mean i'm guilty myself i'm always watching a youtube video in the background or listening to a podcast in the background while i'm doing something else mm -hmm. so it's really hard to like sit and critically engage with things um and i think tiktok is just such a particularly dangerous platform because there's no curation like at least on youtube youtube is a notoriously white wing platform and its ability to radicalize people but at least you get some choice like you're watching a video and the recommended tab is over on the right and there's like 10 different videos that you could pick from tiktok there's you don't get any choice you don't get it's any autonomy next or not yeah yeah it's you just scroll to the next thing and i mean there was that study done that you know it only took like 200 videos um, for people to started getting fed Nazi videos and right-wing propaganda just based on who you like and how you come and how you engage. And again, algorithm-based media makes it so that you, it's hard, really hard to escape that bubble. And I think about that a lot when I make my content, like how do I actually pierce the bubble and not just preach to the choir? Because I can make a ton of pro-trans videos, but if those only get seen by other trans people who already agree with me, I mean, that's great. I'd make a bunch of trans people feel less alone and less crazy that there is value in that. But if I really want to make my stated goal, like educating cis people or de-radicalizing people, then I have to sort of um, infiltrate the discourse in a unique way. One of my earliest, most successful videos um, was me starting with the premise. So let's talk about how some trans women are misogynistic and like really getting into this like um, quote unquote feminist argument that like trans women, especially recently transitions, trans women still have a lot of like toxic masculinity 
and might be misogynistic or sexist in certain spaces and therefore shouldn't be allowed in women's spaces. But I sort of was like, here's the nugget of truth in that, in that, yes, some trans women can be misogynistic, but here's why that maybe doesn't matter as much as you think, or making a sort of argument like cis women can also be misogynistic, but that doesn't make them less women. It's sort of a tool that people are leveraging to call trans women men and like explaining and picking apart the discourse after sort of infiltrating it. I started another video that was like, here's what I have to say to lesbians who don't want to date trans women and just sort of laying forth this sort of apparently reactionary take only to pull the rug out and be like, I don't care, date whoever you want. Why would I fucking care? <laughs> and then like picking apart everything and sort of um, really getting into both the logical and emotional sides of the argument. Because human beings, here's the thing, are not logical creatures, they're social creatures. When we are losing an argument, the same parts of our brain light up as when we're being physically attacked. Like when you're losing an argument, it's the same sensation as like, like someone pulls a knife out on you or something. Sorry for the violent analogy yeah, well, or yeah. imagery, but panic. it's true. Yeah. A sort of panic because mm -hmm. we have so much of our identities wrapped up in our value systems. So um, it's good to have the facts. As a scientist, I do value facts. And I do, while I do resent having to be an expert on all things chemical engineering and all things sports and all things biochemical and all things like being a trans person on the internet, you have to be an expert in so many things, but mm -hmm. that's fine. I like facts. I'm here to argue from the facts, but I'm also here to argue from a logical perspective. Think about what, for example, a right-wing woman is actually concerned about. And this is part of instructional design too. It's like, who is your learner? What are they concerned about? What are their fears? What are their goals? Um, I think this, I ask the same questions, whether I'm making a lecture all about, you know, fugacity or some chemical engineering concept or I'm making a video for the internet about something trans related I think about who I want my intended audience to be and all these sort of deeper questions and I sort of what I try to do sometimes is infiltrate the discourse yeah yeah in that way anticipate where the critique might be and where exactly because I already know like yeah you have to know not just the per trans argument but you have to know deeply what the anti-trans argument is and like where it might be coming from, where the nuggets of truth might be and how to actually refute those. Cause we can talk all day and like, you know, call people names or whatever, but I think it's slightly more valuable to say yes. And then say, no, you're wrong, blah, blah, blah. Although some ideologies are just fucking wrong. Like I'm not going to debate a Nazi. I'm not going to debate someone who thinks that trans people need to be exterminated. <laughs> There's but a place like, for there's a place for actual rational discussion and a place for um, sort of picking it apart. And that's the sort of that's another sort of key difference is um, private, personal, real life conversations versus the spectacle of public debate. I'm never going to de-radicalize someone in a debate stream or with a TikTok video. It takes a lot of time and effort to really get to know someone and pick apart what their concerns about you know, trans people might be. But I think it's important to do like sometimes, but this is slightly cribbing from a recent Natalie Wynn video <laughs> about like the value of public debate. And I wrote about this on my Substack as well. Mm -hmm. Is converting bigots actually like a meaningful strategy? Like in a way, yes, we it, it is nice to have less bigots in the world. But I think where we're at right now, is most people are on trans people's side. It just so happens that right-wing nut jobs have all the power. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, Fox News just did a poll of Americans. I don't know if it was like Fox News viewers or just like all Americans in general. No, was, I think I know the report. 57% say that it's a, a big problem that transgender uh, children and families are facing threats. And that is of all uh, other participants. And they do typically have fairly representative polls. But yeah, yeah. that's still immense. Yeah, that we, we have the support of people they don't want to attack us. They don't want harm done to us. And they would seek to prevent that harm being done in yeah. massive numbers. Yeah, it was um, Alejandro Carabello on Twitter. Um, sorry if I mispronounced that. But um, she pointed out something very insightful near uh, the end of the um, 2022 election cycle when there wasn't really a big red wave, but there also wasn't really a huge Democratic win across the board either. It was kind of mixed. And she said, basically, people don't care about trans people, like in a good way, in that they don't want to actively harm us or shit on us, um, but also in the way that there a lot of people like don't care enough to be mobilized into action to help us. We're just sort of around and people don't strongly feel one way or another. And I think I mostly agree. And I do find some comfort in the fact that most people don't actually want to actively harm us. It's only like the small, small, small extreme minority that's yeah. sort of mobilized by anti-trans rhetoric and things, mm-hmm. especially because the Republicans are going hard on that strategy of just like trans people are the devil. When you look at that Fox News poll, it's only like 1% of people who think like, quote unquote, trans issues slash wokeness. That was the category. Trans issues really? slash wokeness. They have to include wokeness. In- it was like woke. It was like wokeness slash transgender issues. It was, it was the category, the whole category. And only 1% of respondents rank that as like their top issue whereas like most people think like the economy or gun control or you know normal things uh, inflation things that affect their normal everyday life it um definitely seems like the the viewers are getting bored of that and that's why yeah some of people their are getting bored of attacking trans people people aren't galvanized as much as republicans might think they are um by dunking on trans people in fact some might even say that pro-trans people are being galvanized because they see all this backlash and they're like, oh my goodness, we got to do something. Mm-hmm. Like it, I almost want to say, I don't want to say for sure right now because it's hard to say right now, but it might actually even backfire on Republicans because look at what's happening in Montana, for instance. In Missoula, yeah. Montana, Zoe Zephyr was barred from speaking for a few days in the House. Um, and that pissed a lot of people off. And look what happened. Tons and tons of protests, days of protests for Zoe. And now people are connecting in the streets as they should be um, for Zoe and for trans issues because they see, oh my God, the one time we get like one singular pro-trans voice in this Congress, they literally used the mechanism of violence to like shut her down and make it so that she can't vote, which is alarming. And people are pissed off by that. I mean, the same thing with in Tennessee, um, that one black legislature, oh, I forget his freaking name, um, starts with a J. Justin. He was also just, yeah, Justin was also just straight up removed from Congress because Republicans didn't like what he was saying. Like, how fucked up is it that Congress can just do that? I think a lot of people are justifiably waking up to the mechanism of violence that is the state, that we can elect the right people, quote unquote, we can get the right people in charge, but then they can just find some loophole and remove them if they don't like them or don't like what they're saying. That is terrible that that exists, but a lot of people are waking up to that idea. And I think that's really 
encouraging. They see what they're doing. Yeah, it's it's all hands on deck to try and restrict uh, the the conversation as much as possible. <laughs> I know that uh, for me, the the first uh, job that I had that uh, provided the healthcare that included transgender healthcare was the the first job that I knew really cared about their employees on you know a, a long term level, um, and I feel like that's kind of uh, how we should view healthcare uh, and healthcare bans and bills in state by state as we're seeing these go through. That it's just a concern, a lack of concern for the general health and welfare for the citizens that that we're seeing reflected from some of the top people well, yeah me, i mean the thing about trans health care is i want everyone to have health care and i want it to not be tied to employment which yeah, is like, an excellent yeah. way to cut through the noise like oh you think people should just be able to walk in and get surgery and like i, I get yeah i guess i am arguing that <laughs> yeah I mean, it, what, it, it's weird because these are the same people who get upset about things that are like, oh, you know, it's my, it's your right, your choice, whatever. And it's like, yeah, like, it's my body. I, I should have the right, I should have the choice to do whatever the fuck I want to do with it. I can go and get, like, a, a tit job if I was a cisgender woman without all this other shit. Like, why can't I just go out and get a, a boob job just because I, just because I was born with a penis doesn't mean I don't want titties. That discrepancy is, I think, really valuable to point out to people. I've convinced a lot more people by making that kind of argument. Like, if you're a cis woman, you can go out and get progesterone by just, like, asking for it. I, I, yeah. I knew a cis woman once who was like, I want to start creating breast milk. And just, like, because that's what she felt like doing one day. And she was able to go out and get progesterone and start producing yeah. natural breast milk. And I was like, but trans people can't just go out and get hormones. Also, here's something that you know, makes people really sit back. I can, I can sit there and tell people all about the anti-trans bills and workplace transphobia and all this. But the one thing that makes people actually like kind of take a step back and think about how the mechanism of society works is name change. I ask them, how much do you think it costs to legally change my name? And they're like, I don't know, just stand in line somewhere or a couple hundred bucks. And I'm like, no, it's over a thousand dollars when you consider all things you have to do it's like getting the court document three hundred dollars in connecticut get a new driver's license getting a new passport all these costs tens or hundreds of dollars and so that kind of breaks the noise of like oh these people are transitioning these kids are transitioning it's just like this willy-nilly thing that they're just doing because they're like mentally ill or whatever but no yeah it takes a lot of commitment and it takes a lot of time i had to take a lot of time off work to go stand in the line in government offices to get this done it's a real thing I'm, i was serious about it and it costs a lot of money but, and you can compare that to the reality that like, if you're just like, if you got married, then you could go and change your name for free. Cause it's just a social custom that when you get married, you change your last name. Well, I could also argue that it's a social custom that when you transition your gender, you generally change your name too. So if it's free, you get get married, but it costs more than a thousand dollars and all this time off work. And in some cases, like you have to go to like therapy for six months to change a gender marker on certain documents. Yep. Like, why is that discrepancy? Well, there? And that really takes, makes people take a step back, you know? Well, I think a big issue, too, is that there's a lot of ignorance when it comes to uh, minority people's, like, existence. For instance, um, while I was in college, there was a lot of uh, cis white folk who thought, oh, you're, you're going to college for free. And when I would say, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to college for free, but it's not because I'm black. It's because I was in the military and I got the GI Bill. So it wasn't really free. I'm, a, you know, like, 
I suffered quite a bit in order to be able to go to college to not have to pay it outright or with cash. And they're like, well, you were black. Like, you, you should have gotten free college anyways. I was like, no, no, that's not how that works. And it's the same thing with trans people. And I noticed that. I tell people, like, oh, yeah. Um, like, oh, well, you, you tried to legally change your name before. Um, why don't you just do it again? And I'm like, well, right now I've got a lot going on that I'm dedicating my money to. And a lot of them will say that. Like, oh, I thought it was, like, free for your people. And I'm like, it's just <laughs> $545 to just do the paperwork. I still have to change all the other shit. Like it's not, it's not dirt cheap. If it get rid of a whole ass paper trail, it's not, it takes time and it takes money. And yeah. it's not something people choose to do frivolously. That's one. That's a big thing that we need to sort of get people to understand. This is not just something that we get up one day and decide to do. Cause that's what the yeah. right has sort of framed us as is it's mm -hmm. like, Oh, if you're, girl that comes home from school one day and wants to be a boy like that's not really happening it's not really you know they don't like to wear a dress one day and then that means they're guy and then your teacher's going to trans them it's a repeated pattern of behavior and it just yeah. so happens that in 2022 2023 we're starting to recognize and acknowledge that now mm -hmm. it's well, kind we of recognize and acknowledge yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of ironic, but in in right wing circles, they express a lot of fear about uh, people in power who are homosexual or, or transgender or a lot of concern, a lot of projection on people who are in power uh, being transgender or having an agenda like that. Uh, it's uh, it really kind of strange, like uh, whenever I was applying for like a, a house loan like a, a more than a decade ago before like all of the real estate crash like my, my dad one day was like you know i bet you could have gotten like a special deal on a home loan if you, you just said you were gay i'm like if only you knew <laughs> but like no that's, People that's are not routinely how it denied home loans oh yeah that's for similar reasons right right actually yeah. that's the greatest lie that's probably one of the greatest lies, not the greatest lie about the trans movement, that we're actually like this big secret and very powerful organization. That is a complete deflection from the fact that by and large, our com our country is ran entirely by right-wing nut jobs. Mm -hmm. Like if you actually look at the power structures, like what and it's actual too. trans people are empowered. If they were, I'd be collecting more checks, I think, but I'm not, so. <laughs> I think that's not true. I think you would be, I think you'd be one of those like good politicians, or not good politicians, one of those good people who think that they can make a difference and actually try to make things fair. I know mm -hmm. I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. I would I would make sure that I was a ruthless dictator, making sure to destroy the right. But that's neither here nor there. Right. Obviously, humor and sarcasm for those who don't understand sarcasm. But yeah, I, I think you'd be one of those people who are like, oh, I'm going to be honest and mm -hmm. do things the right way. And that's they, why they... you voted out like in Tennessee. They'd be like, we're, we're getting rid of her um oh yeah they would get rid of me they would find a way to get rid of me if i actually went into actual politics they would find a way um they almost did but that's a story for offline yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah oh, well, i mean you, see, you see these like right-wing podcasts with like five million viewers like we're being silenced we're so suppressed buy our hundred dollar t-shirts and mugs and support the movement and, and meanwhile how many trans people starved today I don't don't forget the uh the Alex Jones esque uh Alex Jones esque uh supplements too. Alpha brainwave. Yeah. It won't even let your frogs turn gay. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh well, I mean, It'll that's your frogs. It's kind of the the weird thing is you know that's their own kind of gender affirming care, uh, but it's like 
uh, also just like kind of a denial of like the other uh, other side, like you know, just the feminine side in general. Uh, it's the toxic masculinity stew. They just want to bathe in constantly. Well, they don't understand that that's also a form of dysphoria for them. Like they're they are masculine mm -hmm. presenting. Yeah. They don't feel that there's certain aspects of their their body that adheres to this belief that a man should be X Y Z way. And essentially, that is dysphoria. They're like, oh, I don't have big enough pecs. Oh, I'm not tall enough. Oh, I'm not buff enough. I don't have a manly chin. And all these things can be fixed and rectified. Um, and, you know, if we had a system like, for instance, Japan, where you could just go in and shit's dirt cheap because they have lots of regulations on stuff. Like, there's no... You're not going to be paying, like, a grand for insulin in Japan. And I know because I live there. Um, you need an ultrasound? Oh, what's that? America, it's one hundred and forty to five hundred dollars insured. In Japan, it's like ten bucks. But again, what a great country we live in! <laughs> I know the world's best. Don't yeah. let anyone ever shining city on the hill, life. shining city on the hill that we have right here. What they don't tell you is that it's just gold plated, and the actual materials used to build it was poop and slavery mm -hmm. yeah, and bigotry yeah. and hatred and racism. Mm -hmm. Don't and genocidalism, yeah, genocide. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, with all the issues America has, it makes you wonder if it was built on an old uh, Native American burial ground. Mm -hmm. Here, here's a thing about sort of these anti-trans bills. All these bills that are like threatening to take kids away from their parents. A lot of trans people, a lot of white trans people, are freaking out. Like, oh my god, this is actually happening. By what mechanism do you think? the state already had a system by which they can take kids away from parents. It was to take indigenous kids away from parents. It was to take black yes. kids away from poor kids away from parents. Yes. None of this is new. There, There's this cultural amnesia that we have. And a lot of that is based on racism. And this is just like a historicism that like the anti-trans violence that we're seeing today is unique and new. And yes, we've never seen backlash like this before, but that's only because we've made We've never made progress like this before. So of course we're seeing a backlash. Um, all this is is backlash to progress that we've made. And I mean, arguably that progress is very small other than visibility and some people putting pronouns in their email signatures. Um, but I think the backlash is kind of a weirdly good thing. Like it's just a sign of progress and we will win. We will win. Well, I think it goes back to like what you're saying with the, um, oh, you're saying it right as I came in. Sorry, I'm losing my train of thought because I've only had you know, one glass of coffee. Fuck. Okay. We're talking about the anti-trans Twitter and news and media and stuff, I think. Yeah, well, it was more towards the fact of what you're saying with, like, uh, we will win. Um, oh, shit. It was a very relevant point to what we were talking about instead of a, tan a tangent. <laughs> we'll come back to me later. I'll no, it's like we will. And, and, like, the backlash that the Republican Party is trying to do and pull oh. is like all this anti-trans bigotry and people aren't responding to it as well yes um i forgot what the poll was there was a poll that was done i know uh hassan and the majority report were talking about the, the number of republicans themselves who give a damn about trans issues in the sense of like attacking trans people has, has dropped drastically because they're like look at all this other shit that's wrong why the fuck do I care about someone else's business at this point when there's all this other shit that's going wrong? You're attacking our uh, social security. You're attacking our health care. You're attacking Medicaid. All that shit. Why the fuck am I going to care about some 
transgender person when I can worry about my own fucking self at this point. And it's, I, I thought it was in the, the upper 70% of people who don't give a shit anymore about attacking trans people and really want them to start giving a shit about the stuff that affects them. And um, it's just interesting to see because yeah, Republicans have, yeah, go on. Tired of seeing us be the scapegoat for, instead of going for real issues, they go for the culture war issue. Like, oh, you want you you want to allow children to marry in this state but you don't want to allow trans people to have gender affirming care oh you want to allow child labor like what the fuck is going on and all all we really have to do is show people what republicans are doing that's all protect the children protect the children that comes to get queer and trans people but they're not passing any gun reform laws they're passing child marriage laws passing child labor laws they're trying to make it so that kids can work at a fucking meat packing plant or whatever. Right. Like, but look at what they're actually doing. Wages. You talk about those points of injecting into the narrative to kind of find one discourse and hijack it. Well, I just don't think that children of the age of 16 are informed enough to consent to work at a meat packing plant. You know, that's, it's, you know, a pretty, I think that's a pretty easy call right there. Like, you know, we, we had that like a hundred years ago, that, that call up in Sinclair, right? It, it's, it should be a pretty easy call to call out their hypocrisy. Biden kind of had that tactic of, you know, here's the danger and then listening to the outrage and then biting back and making them confirm on, on the floor with protection of social security. Having those kinds of moments of do we respect the autonomy of children in these regards to their health or not? might be like one of those positions to kind of sandwich together two issues at once to figure out where the autonomy break is for these people. When I found my mom, the way I broke it down was, well, even not just my mom, but people at work, I like to point out to them when they say things along the lines of children can't decide what gender they want to be, so therefore they shouldn't be allowed um, to decide or make this decision or whatever to take like, you know, puberty blockers. I point out that the same politician that they're leading, that they're listening to is the same person who's saying that a child is old enough to decide to work and apparently get married. So it is started, you can actually use that to break stuff down. One of the people at my, my work, my boss basically was a little bit miffed when I pointed that out in the sense that he was like, yeah, it doesn't make sense to me, but you know, I feel they're going the right way. And that's how I went further into it is, well, how do you feel they're going the right way? Do you want your children to have to work? Well, if they decide to, okay. So what if your children decide to do gender things? Like, are you going to stop them from exploring it if they're old enough to get a job and get married now? And it's, you just really have to keep doubling or down. Or a kid because they can't get abortions. <laughs> oh, I didn't think to that one. Force, a kid, that- force a kid to have a kid. Force a child to have a child because You're making t- abortion illegal. But no, you can't change your gender. <laughs> you're, you're too young to decide if you want to have a child, but you're too young to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's in the conservative mind, that's kind of self-consistent because, um, and there's a great video by Lily Alexander about the fear of trans bodies, but to the Republican, <laughs> to the right wing, not job, um, I shouldn't bash people like this except they are kind of attacking us is it we'll we'll, we'll allow uh, for the words like that it's partly just out of you know um i'm just talking from the heart here yeah it's know? a bash back kind of thing it's bash a bash back. back well according yeah. to the conservative to the christian conservative 
the function of a woman, they don't say cis women, but they mean cis women, is to produce children. The Bebe. function of, and so it is not inconsistent to say that a young woman in their eyes, it's a child, but it's a young woman to them, yeah. shouldn't be able to have an abortion. And it's consistent to say that we shouldn't allow these young girls to mutilate their bodies and take testosterone. Like that's consistent to them. Um, it's not consistent to us because we're looking at it from the autonomy perspective of like, we should allow children to have the freedom to either get an abortion or you know change gender or whatever. But to them, they're not thinking of in terms of autonomy, they're thinking in terms of how do we keep producing white babies? Because that's their end game. So it really is, that's though. what we need to unpack it, is like, where are they actually coming from? It, and what's it, their honestly, actual, what do they think human beings are for? Like to them, it's this like biological destiny that human beings are meant to reproduce. And that's what they're for. Look at any anti-gay argument in history of like, oh, they're, they can't biologically reproduce. And that's why they're a sin. Like, <laughs> I don't think that makes any fucking sense. But to the conservative, it's like, yeah, duh. <laughs> to this day, that's well, what Ben Shapiro and everyone argues is like, they can't, gay people so, can't biologically reproduce. And so that's why they're immoral. That's why they're a sin. If the point then is to make sure that people can reproduce, we should be on the side of people being able to bank their sperm and backing that with, you know, uh, funds from, you know, healthcare subsidies and, uh, you know, uh, banking their eggs as well. Uh, yeah, robust yeah, childcare, yeah. robust, you know, not having a pregnancy cost thousands and thousands of dollars by, in hospital bills. That's where the inconsistency can lie. Because you can and say, they, okay, sure. Genuinely pro-life. Yeah. Genuinely actually pro-life. Well, that and it, it's also like when they try to appeal to biology and the evolutionary like na nature of things, I don't think they understand that there's a reason also why gay people exist as per the scientific mindset. So, for instance, let's look at penguins, horrible, terrible creatures. Yes, I know. However, they do have homosexuality in the species and we've noticed it. What happens is, is when one of those uh, hetero Pe uh, penguin parents gets mauled to death by a um, an orca, a gay parent will bring that nestling over and raise that essentially baby penguin or a chick um, to adulthood. Like there is a an actual reason why stuff, you know, ex the existence of non-heterosexual people exist in nature and we see it in almost every species for a reason. Mm -hmm. People will say that like I mutilated myself and it's like, you've never heard of an aunt or an uncle? Hello? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you mutilated yourself. Really? It feels more like <laughs> making myself whole. Like, yeah. Hmm. That's my well, favorite part. I feel like there are many stuff. ways I can serve society. Hell, there are many ways I could serve white supremacist patriarchy if I wanted to. I'm not I'm trying to divest from that. But outside of having a kid, there's lots I can do. Um, <laughs> you know, you gotta have fun with it. You gotta <laughs> have fun with it. That's, I like to I like yeah. to ridicule them in the, the same sense. Like one of them told me, like you know, if you get if you get bottom surgery, you can kiss your manhood goodbye. And my wording was, that wouldn't be the first manhood I've kissed goodbye. But like neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah. Iconic. <laughs> yeah, you have to. You really have to make them feel silly and just. I've stopped trying to be logical with um, anyone who's transphobic because they're not coming mm -hmm. from a logic. I'm just going to make you feel foolish. And right, the butter. Yeah. 
it's it's often not coming from a place of total logic either. Um, like, for example, not to call out anyone specific in my family, um, but um, there is a woman in my family. It's my mom. I should just say it's my mom. <laughs> putting my own okay. mom on blast. It's fine. Right. She, she's never going to listen to this. Um, but she, from a young age, had rheumatoid arthritis. And having rheumatoid arthritis in the 70s and 80s sucked because the science, quote unquote, at the time, was what we would now call pseudoscience. She got all these weird, obscure treatments. She got gold injections because doctors didn't know what the fuck they were doing. And so she had a bad time. And now she has a very reasonable mistrust of doctors because of medical misogyny and medical ableism. So fast forward to me um, from her perspective, and probably she got some lines from like some religious conservatives is that I'm now going to be like a lifelong patient of, you know, some doctor, I'm going to have to take drugs for the rest of my life. I'm beholden to some doctors or whatever that I'm trusting doctors when I should trust myself or, you know, and this is coming from the woman who now does all these sort of different fad diets or whatever. <laughs> and now somewhat believes in pseudoscience. She's not a full on QAnon or a flat earther or anything, but she definitely tries all manners of, you know, juice cleanses and things just to try to feel better because she can't, she has rheumatoid arthritis. She can't exercise. She can't move her body. So the only means she has yeah. of like controlling her weight, which as we all know, women in society, they only are valuable if they're skinny, um, is crazy awful fad diets that don't do anything or make you regain the weight or make you gain weight so or unhealthy for your organs yeah so naturally she's prone to listen to a lot of quacks because she's distrusted of doctors and so that is one of the roots one of the threads that led to her own distrust of my own transition um my own medical autonomy and there's other factors there like you know personal shit i won't get into but i think a lot of people have a mistrust of doctors and that thread that sort of not very logical, but emotional thread is something that we can tap into when we're trying to sort of access, you know, why people are actually transphobic or what their actual mistrust is. What's the narrative against trans men? It's like, oh, they're these poor, young, defenseless young girls are being manipulated or whatever. But like, why don't you trust girls? That's a simple thing. Like, I thought we were feminists here. Aren't we supposed to trust young girls and their autonomy? Yeah, but turfs don't turfs don't use logic. No, we've established, and they're that. not feminists. As we've hopefully very they're not. They're farts. They are. They're they're farts, not turfs. But it's just easier to call them turfs and not and have people understand. I really would like to change the vernacular as to what uh what those people are because you know uh, feminism these days is intersectional for a reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is, and turfs are now just sort of full on conservatives, and they're not even hiding it anymore. Like a couple of years ago, I could maybe defend some or like, oh, well, here's what they're actually talking about. Here's, you know, where they're coming from. But, and maybe there are still women kicking around in the turf movement who are like that. But looking at the turf leaders like Posey Parker and JK Rowling, it's like they're full on just like calling for extermination and for men with guns to come in into women's bathrooms and killing trans people. Like there's no debate anymore. Debate's over. We've, we've passed the time at which it was possible to have a reasonable debate um, with people who openly and proudly call themselves terse. Well, yeah, we're also seeing the... It's weird because they they claim that this is all for cis women, 
or as they call them, like natural women, whatever, or biological mm -hmm. women. But they don't recognize that a lot of the stuff that they're advocating for hurts cis women as well. For instance, the whole thing with uh, bathroom stuff. I have family members who don't fit the uh, European beauty standards of what a cisgender woman should look like or a woman in general. And it leads to issues where people are like, oh, this is a trans person entering a woman's restroom. And it's like, no, that's that's yeah. a cisgender woman. Like people making fun of my sister having a beard. Um, calling her trans which is strange because i'm the trans person and she has facial hair because of something i think it's pots or something i'm not too certain. pcos or something yeah but like a and, lot of uh, some sort of any any sort of the many sort of androgenizing you know well yeah it's uh, any characteristics sort of or intersex characteristics any deviation from what they deem as what a, a woman is is to be met with um hostility and you can see it on the internet there are ample examples of people utilizing a restroom who are a cisgendered woman who maybe one thing isn't on the the lady spectrum and people like lose their minds they're like oh this this woman can't be in the restroom this isn't even a woman and it's like what mm -hmm. and we see it in sports like with simone i believe it's simone caster was her name being um unable to Pete because it said her testosterone was too high and she's like I'm a cisgendered woman like, oh there might be some intersex with you uh run the tests then like that doesn't make any sense yeah. and we well, see that it's not gonna hurt yeah. hmm? Caster Semenya that Caster okay. Semenya yeah I actually did a whole podcast about trans people in sports where I featured a black trans journalist former athlete um about how it's not just about you know taking women out of are taking trans women as sports it's also about discriminating against black women and all sorts of atypical bodies quote unquote atypical as per, yes. as per european yeah. standards and things like that and the thing i want to cut through the noise on and this is whenever someone asks me about sports the first thing i say is okay we can talk about the sports thing but please recognize that the whole point of talking about sports or bathrooms or anything is not to actually weigh the merits of you know protecting women's spaces. If it was about that, then maybe they would pay women's sports athletes more or just as much as men. It's actually about removing trans people from public life. Like imagine going through life where you could never use a public bathroom. How much harder your life would be? You probably would never come out as trans, huh? It would just make your life that much harder or you would never go on public or you'd be hiding in the shadows like a good, you know, <laughs> yeah, that, a good you mean trans person doing it entirely in private or being in the shadows or being a sex worker with that what without a voice. That's what they want for trans people is, is to then be dead or prostitutes. Yes. Which is how we were represented in the media for decades. So Yeah. Well, conservatism is referring to conserving the status quo and power of, you know, the yes you're under. In this instance, that's what they want. They want us to return back to those really well before, you know, I, I, I'm going to pre uh, preface this with the, we all know that before the uh, colonization of America, you know, before then of the, of the Americas, there was obviously ample examples of people who were two spirited and so forth. But they want us to return back to that like 19 fucking 60s version where it's, oh, trans people, they're either again, as you said, uh, sex workers or it's done only at home and we know that it's not about the privacy is issue because we have gay clubs that have been shot up where we you know congregate together and it's done behind closed doors and 
bigots have gone through and still attack the places. So it's exactly what you're saying. There was a very, and I think about this a lot. I can't remember where I heard the story from, but back in the 50s, when gay people wanted to meet up, they literally had to meet in private. Sometimes they had to meet like in a middle of a park at night just to be themselves and be gay and also obviously have sex. Um, and one time, one of these gay meetings in the 50s in the dark at night was interrupted by, you know, police or something. And the newspaper reported that it was only like five to 10, you know, perverts or whatever, gay men. In reality, if you listen to actually people from that day, it was actually hundreds. It wasn't one or two random people meeting up in the woods. It was hundreds of gay people congregating in these spaces. It's like, we've always existed. We've always, always existed. There's, it was actually recently um, Eli Ehrlich, who's like a public, you know, vocal for trans person. Mm -hmm. um, she's trans also. Um, recently colorized a bunch of old photos of trans people. And you can go on her website, EliEhrlich.com slash color and see all these photos of trans people from the 60s, 50s, 40s, 20s, 1800s, yeah. 1700s, paintings <laughs> and photographs of trans people, and now in color. And I look at those photos and I just weep with joy that we get to experience this. I weep with sadness that so much of this was destroyed and this is only what survived. But I'm so glad the new generation has access to the internet and access to all of this information about older trans people, trans people throughout the generations, even trans people throughout different cultural norms. I did a whole podcast called Trans People Are Sacred, talking about two-spirit identities and different other things that we in the West might call trans, but obviously there's like complications with calling past cultures trans and using our sort of Western label on it. But still, yeah. it was like gender diverse people. Um, and a lot of the time, those trans people were like community leaders. They were priests, healers, educators, yeah, look at the Mahu. And that's beautiful. Look at the Mahu. Look at everyone. And Mahu, Kadui, what was the uh, uh, the one from uh, Polynesia? Not necessarily just Hawaii, but um, actual Polynesian culture. The feet something. There's a lot. So, well, the yeah, there's a lot, lot. of there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of culture examples. and history, and it seems like you know the restriction that we're looking for. Uh, to try and teach against diversity, equity, inclusion of those kinds of cultures, the restriction of the voice uh, of those cultures that can have those sorts of ideas. Right now in Missouri, the one of the reasons listed on, or you know, to prevent people from transitioning is social contagion, which has no uh, set definite goal, but definitely strikes a social hygiene if there's social contagion as a factor in being transgender. Which there's there's not other than knowing that other people can exist and be happy and prosperous being yeah. who they are, uh, and that's that's a point of fear uh, for for the mm -hmm. people on the right, knowing uh, that they haven't done their job to keep the norm for pressing women, uh, you know, to where to where we can't keep uh, trans women uh, in points of success. Uh, we we have to strike down every opportunity, anything that they're endorsed by, even. Yeah, it's it's this very emotional and psychological fear of like a group of people being seen as clean and another group of people being seen as dirty. Trans people are dirty. Poor people are dirty. Sex workers are dirty. Black and brown people, everyone that they want to categorize. It's always a contagion or they're going to corrupt us 
your your little white girls are going to be corrupted by some <laughs> by if they date a black person or something like yeah oh black the the what was it the oh yeah so to people who are not black i don't know if y'all are aware of this term but back in the yesterday when they would refer to a black uh a cis black man as a um a mandingo big black penis is going to apparently ruin the minds and vaginas of your white youth and it made no sense because one hey that's not how vaginas work and uh two like what <laughs> what an interesting stereotype but yeah thing it was like oh yeah the big big black scary person is going to who's hypersexual somehow and a deviant is going to uh basically sully your children and that's what we're seeing today it's literally there are so many parallels between what they would say about black folk in the estriander and trans people today and i get it when i talk to other black folk about it they get upset because they're like oh don't compare us to to y'all and i'm like one i am us and i am y'all there are black people who are trans who are going through the same shit um and two it is a direct parallel here's how it's the same but it again it goes to the like we're seen as dirty and it's hard to make people understand that at one point in time as a black person and in, in many areas you're still considered dirty look at the fact that i have to straighten my hair to keep and hold employment options like you're seen as dirty just like the rest of us come join the filth join the filth <laughs> we're not town red tonight we're painting it brown mm -hmm. well it, it highlights all of the the treatments of marginalized people and, and lifting up all of the marginalized voices together is really part of the the big point of the podcast to make sure that you know uh everyone can can lift up together and uh you know diversity equity inclusion programs critical race theory those those kinds of things are, are now seen as the enemy when it's just Empathy is all that we're yep. really asking for. Empathy in public spaces to be uh, teachable. Uh, empathy, I think, is one of the hardest things to teach, but it just starts with being able to share your individual stories. Um, and yeah, uh, there's a, a whole lot of, of room for a discussion for, for a lot of the textures and, and various things about the trans experience that just don't make it through uh, all of the noise. Uh, all of all of the um, uh, you know things about like what your expertise uh, is in uh, whenever you're constantly just having to bat at level one you know you're having to constantly go back to well here's the basic definitions uh, and we can't get to the you know the advanced descriptions like you know math I, <laughs> I do resent sometimes I, I always jokingly refer to the trans 101 in like a derogatory sense of like I don't want to do the trans one. There are tons of other creators who are explaining this is what sex is, this is what gender is, and that's important for people to have. But I try to make my brand like advancing the conversation, like people who are ready for the next step above trans one hundred and one, who actually want to go a little bit deeper, other than sex and gender are different, and be like, okay, but why does transphobia exist? And that has roots in colonialism, and you know religiousness and all these different factors of like what do we think men are for or supposed to do what do we think women are for and supposed to do and like add race in there too um about like what white people are supposed to be able to do and what black people are supposed to be able to do you know own property versus like be this sort of working slave class or whatever 
And that's where all of these stereotypes emerge from. And it's not just trans people. It's also all the stereotypes about Black men, about Black women, so on and so forth. And just providing explanations and alternative reasons for not just that bigotry exists, but why bigotry exists. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of small cultural innovations that lead to the kinds of progress that we see these days, like the washing machine frees up the time of, of women that uh, was spent like, you know, like hours, if, if not full days, you know, uh, just in, in keeping things clean. It now is automated uh, labor. And we'll see all kinds of uh, effects on the outcomes of communication be democratized that well. The ease of communication and instant communication are, are having a huge effect. Uh, and now like kind of automations of, of communication or, or trying to figure out ways in which we can, like, you know, uh, try try and figure out ways to have a discourse to disclose all of the things we already know or already assume without having to start back at square one. I mean, really, that's just the only way to do that organically is to build a long distance, long long term relationship with somebody and establish those facts. That's over. true. That's so true. You know, I think about as a chemical engineering educator, I think about what sort of educational infrastructure would have to be built to actually create like a as opposed to the alt-right pipeline, what does like a left pipeline look like? So yeah. in math education, if you look at, you know, from K through 12 up through college, it's like you take K through 12, like addition, multiplication, all that, then trigonometry, then algebra, then pre-calc, calc, calc one, calc two, calc three, calc four, and linear algebra and the advanced stuff. And then you learn how to like apply it in practical situations. Our like pro-trans education or our like anti-racist education is very, very, Minimal, if not existential. It's like, hey, the Holocaust sucked, slavery sucked. Good thing those, and good thing racism ended in 1965, thanks to Martin Luther King. And we can just chill and bask in our glory as the shining city on the hill. And then we launch kids into reality where it's like, no, none of these problems have been solved. We're <laughs> dealing with the lingering stereotypes and economic consequences of generations of, you know, every time Black people tried to build wealth, they burn it down. Like yeah. there's a, there, we are not preparing our students, our students. We're not preparing our kids at all. Yeah. Um, and so what would a scaffolding look like? We have to have like the bare bones trans 101. We have to have then the next level above that. And then at some point towards the top, like they, they, the calculus equivalent is like thinking about colonialism and all these things. That's sort of one <laughs> framework that I'm trying to use to think about it. Um, well, that's that's the that's a, the best part you could you could link it to is you could be like this is all derivative of colonialism and capitalism because that's what you learn in a in in calc derivatives the slope of the tangent exactly it's so, all derivatives <laughs> yeah like literally and I that's why you... I am the most suited to talk about racism as a white trans person because <laughs> <laughs> we all know racism ended right after Lincoln <laughs> Lincoln came in and freed all them slaves and then whoo, there was no more racisms in america mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's not like we had a four-year bloody war about it and people <laughs> still to this day are pro the losing side mm -hmm. it wasn't about states rights the states rights what no we don't talk about mm -hmm. <laughs> it was about slavery and for anyone out there who is struggling with this and fi can't figure out what we're talking about Civil War was about slavery. Well, I think maybe we need to kind of start with just some basic ethics and, and really, you know, kindergarten level ethics of, you know, don't hit that person over there, uh, you know, leading into, you know, just like 
basic, you know, don't don't do to other people what you wouldn't do to yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. Where where we kind of get things twisted on the ethical grounds is assuming uh, that we know what's best for some uh, other people. So you know, the yeah. not not just don't do to other people what you wouldn't do to yourself, but do unto others, you know, as you would do unto yourself. Oh, and this into- is where I think privilege can be a huge factor. Um, I talk about like scaffolded education, but I also resent the fact that some people might call like racism as like an advanced subject that people like aren't ready for. Like who, who am I to get to decide that? I think there's a lot of value in people with privilege having conversations where maybe a minority isn't present. Um, for example, white people can have conversations with other white people about racism. Those one-on-one conversations, those basic entry-level conversations without having people of color in the room who might be traumatized by the things that come up in those conversations mm-hmm. so that you know they can get to the next step, get to the next ladder, step in the ladder of the scaffolding. Um, similarly, I would hope that cis people can learn from the conversations that trans people are having and then take that information out into the world, talk to their cis friends, their cis colleagues about trans issues. And what I like to think, what I think I like to do is sort of create digestible and deliverable pieces of information for cis people to be able to go out into the world and say, hey, this is what I heard. This is uh, how a trans person explained it to me. And what do you think about this other cis person? Um, and just providing that level yeah. of support and education. Cause yeah. there's only so many times we could say that we're valid, that we exist and that we're valid before people start asking deeper, better questions. I don't think trans women are valid is a very satisfying answer. It's true, but it's not a very satisfying answer to someone whose entire value system is rooted in colonial and racist gender ideas. Yeah. It's like someone has like a whole value system and you're trying to add a new one in there. You have to take something out for that new value to be put in there. You know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the, as many discussions as dialogues and uh, arguments and debates we can have with people about the validity or, you know, the nature, the health concerns, things like that. Most people only need one consistent thing in their life uh and that's just exposure to transgender people who are normal like them in day-to-day life because it, you know that that's all that really it is we're normal people we don't really want to have to defend our existence or explain our or justify our changes things like that on a day-to-day basis and so uh, just existing and letting the questions come when they can and let the information trickle through where it where it may it it's becoming easier over time uh, than it has ever been. And that's what makes uh, Republicans conservatives so uh, frustrated by the ease of access to information. Whenever I was growing up in a small town, there were three books in my entire library that I knew about that mentioned transgender people. So now there's uh, the internet, all of it. Mere education and mere awareness is sometimes enough. And that's what's so scary to Republicans is that we're allowed to exist now. Like it's scary to them that as opposed to a few decades ago when we were cast in the shadows, we can be in public now. And people can see that maybe this whole patriarchal gender system is kind of fake and we could just sort of do whatever we want. They, I I sound like Bush when I say this, they're scared (laughs) of how free we are. They they hate us for our freedom. (laughs) They hate us for our freedom. That her? (laughs) What was that? You said you sound like- 
Yeah, I sound like Bush. They hate us for our freedom. And they hate yeah, us and that's for like, like somebody's got to throw a shoe at her because they uh, threw a shoe at Bush. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Throw a shoe at this woman. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's true. Like trans people are trans people are the embodiment of this queer idea of we can do whatever we want. We can reject all these old systems and create new things. And there's a religious argument to be made there too, of like, if you're talking to like a conservative Christian, you'd be like, well, God made me trans. God allowed me to participate with him in the divine act of creation. God didn't give us bread, he gave us wheat and let us join him in the act of creation. God God didn't give us wine, he gave us grapes so that we can join him in the act of creation. God changed uh, their gender from she, they in chapter one verse one of Genesis uh, to all sorts of other pronouns throughout or other representations of gender and being more expansive and conscious of what gender means as opposed to just sex or biology uh, is one thing, but also just acknowledging that, that uh, uh, you know, nature is itself not uh, restricted to those binaries that we think about when we think about like say what's in the Bible is just male and female he created them. That wasn't even part of, you know, all of the languages that they were picking apart through. All of the theys and thems were in there mixed in uh, all the money. Um, you know what was, you know what sparked the greatest, like, intellectual um, explosion in human history? It was the inventing of the pr- printing press. Mm-hmm. Because before the printing press, it was only, like, the most educated, it was only the priests who could read the bible and interpret the bible for the masses before the masses could largely read and access bibles once the printing press was invented and anyone can just get out and buy a bible and see what was actually in it that's what sparked like the whole renaissance period (laughs) of like huge advances in science after after like many centuries of that we call it the dark ages um so literally just the creation of education and spaces and visibility of people can be so informative and educational um the ability for people to actually read what they're actually supposedly believe in and interpret it for themselves and think critically that's huge the Mm -hmm. more critical thinking we have the more people are aware of what's actually in the bible i mean how many christians have really read the bible probably very few you compare christianity to something like judaism or islam where to actually sort of advance in the religion, you have to study Judaism to get like um, your mitzvah. You have to study the Torah. You have to like, it's like you have to pass an exam, basically. <laughs> Christians have to pass the exam. There's like, hey, you're Christian. Yeah, we're going to dunk you in water and give you this little piece of bread. Um, There's you get cultural to... adherence, but basically it's long as you yeah. Yeah, duck under the sins. And you don't hit those. And if you do hit the sins, then you say you're sorry for it. You're pretty much good. Yeah, just say you're sorry and maybe pay the church a few hundred dollars and you're good. I I like to also compare like people who are Muslim who actually participate in Ramadan. It's like, oh my God, you literally don't eat all day long for like a full month. Like as opposed to Christianity or Catholics, I was raised Catholic who are like, yeah, I won't eat meat on Fridays during Lent if I remember. Like the devotion and cultural adherence is totally different. Mm-hmm. and gonna- christianity largely um i'm not going to dunk on all christians here because there are obviously christians who are very serious about their faith um but think about how many christians actually follow the letter of the law and like actually love each other's neighbors and you know if you listen to what jesus was actually saying it was very socialist it's very lefty like love each other and the scary thing I- now is that you see literally 
priests and preachers in churches getting shouted out for like lefty ideas and all they're doing is quoting Jesus. Yeah. And quoting love and sharing and help a neighbor, love a neighbor. And it's no coincidence that really it's the, the least uh, accessible parts. Well, the parts of the United States that are most conservative are the ones that have the least access to information, the internet, the least funded library systems and public schools and, and things like that. Um, and as long as we kind of keep that uh, restrictive element when it comes to things like educating about, uh, you know, uh, cultural inclusiveness uh, or, or ethics, if we try and, you know, dumb it down just to duck under the, the parts that seem harmful as opposed to trying to make an effective change in, in culture, uh, we, we'll lose out. I don't think that the kids really are that detuned from things anymore, though, because uh, there is some part of that three websites, uh, you know, having that same cultural experience being regardless of whatever and having access to people of all sorts of colors experience uh, throughout. Yeah, we absolutely need to help our kids understand. The first thing yeah. that I do, well, the first thing I do when some young person comes to me seeking mentorship, and I've mentored a lot of different trans people over the years, is I say, oh my God, you're wonderful, you're beautiful, amazing, thank you so much for sharing and blah, blah, blah. And the second thing I say is, here's a bunch of literature. Here's, um, where is it? Ah, here we go. Here's the Combe River Collective Statement. Go read this. Go watch Paris is Burning. Go watch Pose. Learn your history and then come back and then I'll give you more homework and then we'll keep <laughs> this going because we have to get rid of queer cultural amnesia. And when it comes to like broader political discussions outside our own communities, I mean, the right is trying to defund libraries. The right is trying to essentially defund public schools and make it so that only charter schools and private schools exist because then they can control those and there's no national standards yeah. they're trying to ruin education so that people aren't educated so that they can't fight back so that they're disempowered so that they're disconnected from each other what is the term wokeness other than being aware it started out as a word in the black community for like being aware of racism and aware of the mechanisms by which violence can happen onto them and you can extend that broadly to be like oh be aware of um systemic oppression so when conservatives are fighting against wokeness, they're fighting against being aware of things. They're fighting against just like general education. Um, and obviously it's just practically just a shorthand for anything lefty that they disagree with. But really rhetorically and spiritually, it's about fighting against facts and science and logic in favor yeah. of their emotional ideas about like owning women or whatever how society should function at, at the general core of it what the, the rights of individuals should be or, or would be um but you know a lot of that doesn't get disclosed or discoursed about we we just wind up with a, a show of hands for who thinks that that is the way it is or uh, a backdoor deal passed just to you know uh, put through legislation with a private bias I do want to make sure that we're respecting your time. You're on Eastern time there. Is that right? That's okay. correct. So, uh, anything we need to uh, talk about to wrap up? Caroline did want me to uh, mention uh, any, anything about global warming that you might have to uh, put in. <laughs> yes. So okay. I'm slightly pivoting my content from Pivot. talking only about trans, trans issues to talk about plastics. Mm -hmm. So I'm a chemical engineer and I studied polymer nanocomposites in for my PhD. Mm -hmm. And so 
I know a lot about plastic. I knew too, I know too much about plastic. And actually this semester at UMass, I taught a whole course called Polymer Processing and Sustainability. And in that course, I broke down not only how plastic is made, like how all sorts of plastic things are made, plastic bottles, bags, everything in between that you can think of is made of plastic. I talked about how it's made, how it's sourced and how recycling works, how composting bioplastics works. Um, and through the whole thing, I wove in a conversation about colonialism and how pollution, there's this great book that we read together as a class called Pollution is Colonialism by an indigenous author, Max the Baral. Um, and it was a whole amazing course that blended science and social justice like seamlessly. Um, the whole time we were just interweaving things about like what dominant cultural narratives allowed us to switch to plastic for to allow plastic to take over our lives and to allow plastic bottles to be polluting our oceans. Um, what ideas about land and extraction um, lead into everything chemical engineers do. All chemical engineering education is founded on presupposing that you have chemicals, these raw materials, which you can manipulate and optimize the production of. Um, but where do they come from? And really thinking critically about sustainability and at the root cause, it's not just a matter of, you know, trying to do our chemistry while polluting less carbon. It's a fundamental change that has to happen in how we do science and how we do engineering. So I'm taking that course. It I just and basically wrapping it up now. It's going mm -hmm. pretty well. But I have a lot of ideas for how to make it better. And if you're interested in that course, I'll be teaching it this summer. Um, so it's not limited to just UMass students. Anyone can go and take this course, as assuming they can pay the $1,500 or so tuition, but you get actual college credit. It's not just some series of YouTube videos or whatever. It's mm -hmm. me. I'll be teaching the class. I'll be teaching all about plastic, how plastic gets made, and how that inter how it's interwoven with social justice, with broader issues about racism, colonialism, all these things, all these systems. And we'll talk about how recycling works, um, how to actually engage with anti-plastic activism, pro-science work, commu science communication work. All these themes are coming together in my course titled Plastic in Society. So if you want to take my course, Plastics in Society, you can get actual college credit. Um, go to my website and the link in my bio will have more information for how to enroll. And I think it's going to be super fun. That'll be from... July 15th to August 25th. It's during summer session two in the UMass college system, but anyone can take it. So that's my big thing I have to promote. Yeah. Um, and I'm very excited about it. I've become part of it. Sorry, Please. what was that? I love plastic so much that it's become a part of me. <laughs> it really has. Have you eaten your daily microplastics today? I have. I have to make sure. I, oh, I might not have had enough. I need more. <laughs> have we in your credit card worth of plastic today? But you need to get um, those little microplastics in the toothpaste that they used to put in that would cause like uh, yeah, my, micro abrasives. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Or when they used I, to put body soap. Mm hmm. Micro beads. You know, that's actually a good example. We actually fought collectively against micro beads and won. Yeah. So that is an example of anti-plastic activism that it was successful. Um, there are still some soap companies that have them that are like, you know, they move their operations offshore. But in the United States, it's illegal. And that was real progress. Um, it is. And mm -hmm. so we can do things. 
I mean, it's the same thing with like the ozone layer. A decade or so ago, it was all about, oh, we got to save the ozone layer. And then we passed laws and then we stopped it. And then the ozone layer is healing. We have other problems with climate change that we also need to address still with legislation and also some individual action, but mostly legislation. Yeah. But we can do it. We can stop climate change. We can live our lives without plastic. We can stop plastic pollution. Our landfills are going to be full within the next 20 years. We have to stop over-consuming. We have to stop consumerism altogether. And we have to divest from plastics, especially those derived from fossil fuels. So expect a lot more TikTok videos about plastic because that's been on my mind all semester. And I haven't made a lot of videos in the past month because I'm taking a social media break. But very soon, I'll be back with more videos about plastic, some videos about trans rights. And it'll all be interwoven through that classic Anna Marie combining STEM and social justice in novel and unexpected ways, because everything is connected. Everything is connected back to colonialism, racism, and all these different systems. It informs how we do our science, informs how we live our lives, how we treat each other. And we can divest, we can do better, because we deserve better. We deserve to treat each other better. We deserve to treat the world better. Um, and we have to treat the world better, or else we're not going to be here in a few hundred years. So... Yeah. The world will still be here, but us humans won't. Yeah, we're only suffocating ourselves. The Earth will be fine in the long term on the cosmic scale. Yeah, the but, Earth is like spinning, but you bitches, you bitches are gone. Yeah, just going to cough us up like a weird little thing in the back of our throat. that we, <laughs> <laughs> Like a Dorito chip that got caught in our teeth, so it's going to spit us out. Earth will be fine in the cosmic scale, but we got to save ourselves. And part of that is learning about plastic. So come follow my tiktok follow my Substack, and follow my podcast it's all in the link in my bio thatannamarie.com and also consider taking my course all about plastic it'll be a really good time yeah that's excellent uh, i appreciate you uh sharing everything uh with us about uh your experiences and uh, kind of the discourse that you've been going through uh kind of taking us to the beyond the 101 level of uh transgender experience um and and the science involved with that as well um uh, lucy any any parting words any questions that you'd like to uh ask and big questions mm, i was gonna try to make a science joke but my brain is still not awake um so no i have no questions i have no question i'm all a <laughs> person so i feel you stem is like a great field for trans people because most of the people it's either you're going to come into an area where it's a whole bunch of old cis white dudes or a bunch of young queer folk. Yeah. That's just how... I'm in, I'm I've, in been, the... I've been someone in the middle of that. I, a lot of my STEM colleagues are cis and straight. And sometimes I go into queer spaces and I like, I feel like I forgot how to be queer. Like I went into a queer space and I like <laughs> shook someone's hand when I introduced it. Like when was the last time a gay person shook another gay person's hand yeah. to say hi? Like, what am I doing? I should just leave now. I'm embarrassing myself. <laughs> well, I forget that. Hand in your gay card. <laughs> yeah, hand in my gay card. It's detransition. And so it's, it's too late for me. Because I'm thinking more like the software side because I work at a hmm. software company and a satellite communications company. So every, almost, almost like there's a shit ton of queer folk there. The older generation that's still there from back like 30 years ago are all like really old crusty cis white dudes who are like oh these purple haired weirdos and it's like oh my hair is black but I'm a weirdo too but I forget that in like the I, I don't know what it's like on the chemical engineering side like we only have like 
one or two chemical engineers for some of the stuff that we put on the satellite. It's very mixed. It, in a, I mean, all engineering fields are lagging behind, except maybe computer science, which yeah. on, on one hand has a strange number of trans women, but also has overall a very low number of women overall. Yeah. Like, I think the closest um, computer science as a field has gotten to quote unquote gender parity. That's like 50% men, 50% women. And obviously non-binary people exist, but the closest we ever came was in like the eighties and we've only diverged since then. And it's still way too many cis men. <laughs> yes. There, so, there are other folk yeah. in it, but you are right. It is predominantly cis, old cis white dudes. And yeah. cis, cis dudes are former cis dudes yeah. <laughs> in a way. Um, which yeah. good for them, good for her, but you know. And also, yeah, chemical engineering is strangely like usually one of the most progressive fields like of all of the engineering fields, but it's still obviously, it's still progressive for a STEM field, you know? Yeah. Like there's a lot of women and queer people, but still working on that racial diversity. I was um, actually thinking that back in the ESG under, but it was like, cause like the, the starting wage, I think back at the time when I was in college for chemical engineers was like, 120,000 and I don't know what it is today because this was like you know 15 years ago but like that pay looked great it did and you know what chemical engineers are basically known for like oil and gas industry like that was the yeah. foundation of the whole field of chemical engineering was we needed someone to process all this oil and gas like it was yeah, like there's the chemistry, which is just like doing the lab work and the synthesis stuff. And then there's chemical engineering, which took that and like did it at scale to create the oil and gas industry, to do the whole petrochemical industry. And even to this day, like the reason why the reported average wage for a chemical engineer, like starting salary is so high because that's average is being hugely disrupted by like people who work in oil and gas who can get 100K out of college. A lot of chemical engineers start out in like the 60, 70K range, which is still a lot. But um, I think the average is disrupted by the petrochemical industry. And yeah, that's something I want to change about chemical engineering. I don't want us to be perceived as the oil and gas people. I think that's why people are leaving chemical engineering across well, the board. I think we can reframe chemical engineering for sustainable energy and for, you know, going for a nonprofit or a government worker, like really like environmental protection and community care. I want to change chemical engineering fundamentally to be something that's more pro-climate, to be something that's progressive and not just locked into old ideas about how science should be done, not locked into old ideas about like the petrochemical industry and extractionist ideas about how we can treat the earth. Yeah, because the reason I didn't go into it in the long run was because somebody who was a chemical engineer um, at the college was like, yeah, no, like you're, you're thinking oil and gas was a very big thing. However, most of us don't work in that. Most of us work in other stuff. And like the stuff they worked in just did not excite me at all. They were talking about, um, I forget what the type of chambers are, but it's been a hot minute. Um, but the way they were just talking about it, I was like, oh, this is so boring and droll. And then I went into computer stuff and was like, wow, this is also boring and droll. It's almost as if science is is shiny on the outside, but boring and droll on the inside and very meticulous and makes you do like repetitive things on repeat for ad nauseum. And then mm -hmm. I got into fucking metrology and I'm like, ah, I make as much as I would with my computer science degree. I'll take it.
And it's still, you know, boring and droll and meticulous. How <laughs> exciting <laughs> would it be if capitalism wasn't a thing? And you can just do what excited you and still live and eat and have housing. <laughs> right? Pipe dreams. Socialist pipe, pipe dreams. dreams. Socialist pipe. Yeah, this is unreasonable. <laughs> Everybody knows dirty commie. Yeah. People have know. always worked for a salary or a wage. That's always been the, the only condition. reason since the dawn of time. I don't know if you realize uh -huh. this, but even bacteria put on suits, little hats, take a briefcase, and then goes to its job. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Deer, same thing. You know, a lot of there's literally thousands of people who play like trucking simulator 2023 or farming simulator 2023. <laughs> Yeah. For fun, power wash simulator for free because I like doing it. I think someone, one of my TikTok mutuals recently posted a video that's like, okay, suppose that you had all your needs met, but the only thing you had to do was like trash pickup twice a week. Would you live that life? Hell yeah, I'd live that life. Yeah, without <laughs> a doubt. Without a doubt. Like, how are we thinking that capitalism is a reasonable system? Like, oh, I got but... all my needs are met, but I got to pick up trash twice a week. Fuck yeah, I work already. Like, at least 40 hours a week at the bare minimum like sometimes it's like 50 hours 60 hours it's like you mean i could just pick up trash twice a week she do you want me to pick it up with my mouth deal yeah what what role will i have after capitalism i don't know i could work at a wastewater treatment plant i can do all these sort of things there's all these amazing things that chemical engineers can do and can contribute to society that i think need to be opened up for gotcha. people's imagination. I want to open up students' imaginations. And that's what I'm trying to do with my course is open students' imaginations to life outside of plastic, to life outside of what capitalism imagines for us. Because what capitalism is imagining for us is just burning plastic for fuel and cause and giving us all cancer. Yeah. Um, so we need to we need to do better. We need to imagine better futures. That's my tagline and on my and on my that's the through line of my videos is imagining better future. Combining science and radical lefty politics to dream bigger, to dream of what's possible for us outside of what's been imagined for us by there's so much better we can do. We deserve better. We deserve better. You deserve better. You listening to this? You deserve better. <laughs> yeah, we deserve better than the, the future that we're leaving uh, our, our children right now. We can work towards it by making incremental small steps and then sweeping broad changes as things come. But uh, every every little conversation uh, is a move forward. We'd love to have you on forward uh, some, sometime again in the future. Uh, Carolina pauses. She couldn't be here, and I don't know what happened to Lucy. She dropped out. And I've got one more person, I think, waiting to join here for the next podcast. So if any parting words, anything else left to plug for me? Just my website, thatannabrae.com. Follow me on socials. Follow me on Substack. Take my course if you want. Most importantly, thank you for having me on. This was such a wonderful, nourishing conversation. Um, I love hanging out with other trans people. If you're trans and you're listening to this, you are sacred. You are powerful. Go be joyful. It's one of the most radical things you can do. Take care of yourselves, and I love you. Hey, everyone. If you liked this episode of the Trans Narrative Podcast, be sure to subscribe, like, and follow. More importantly, share with your friends. Today's episode was recorded on April 29, 2023 via Zoom. Today's show was co-hosted by Athena Permacus and Lucy Balsano. Today's guest was Dr. Anna Marie Lachance. 
Transnarrative Podcast was created by Caroline Penny. This episode was edited, directed, and produced by Caroline Penny. The Transnarrative Podcast was co-developed by Aria Lappi, Athena Permacus, and Lucy Balsano. Research provided by Athena Permacus, Caroline Penny, and Mara Newell. Music provided by Gamma Sky is titled Get Up Again. The music you hear now has been created and produced by Athena Permacus. This episode of the Trans Narrative Podcast was brought to you by Podcasters for Spotify, the easiest way to upload a podcast. Thank you for supporting this show. For more details about this episode, go to the description link below. You can find us wherever you get your podcast. Now available on YouTube.com. Subscription for exclusive content available. Be sure to go to anchor.fm slash transnarrative. If you'd like to reach out to learn more, be a guest, or are looking to get involved with the show, email us at transnarrativepodcast at gmail.com. That's transnarrativepodcast at gmail.com.